0: welcome to Metaphors of EdTech, a podcast by me, Martin Weller. In this podcast, I talk about metaphors of education technology. There's an accompanying book published by Athabasca University Press, which you can check out. It's free to download or you can buy the print copy. And in each episode notes, I'll put links to interesting articles or things that are relevant. So check those out. Now, on with the episode. Welcome to a sub-series of Metaphors of EdTech, uh, where we revisit my previous book, 25 Years of EdTech, and I'm now updating it to 30 Years of EdTech. Previously, uh, when the book originally came out in 2018, a colleague, Clinton Alond, uh, decided to set up a community project, met- turn it into an audio book with a different person reading each chapter. You can see that over 25years.opened.ca. And Laura Pasquini set up a podcast called Between the Chapters with guests talking about that chapter each week. So I recommend visiting that. What I plan to do here is to republish the audiobook version with a preface from me, thinking about kind of how things have changed and whether I'm still happy with that chapter and what's moved on since then, plus the extra five years um, that takes us up to now. Hello, welcome to another episode of 30 Years of EdTech. And we're on to 2009, and it's Twitter, uh, Twitter and social media in general here. The audiobook chapter, which follows after this, is uh, read by Simon Horrocks, and uh, Between the Chapters podcast features Chrissy Naranci and Sue Beckingham, as well as the host of Oppa So, Twitter and no. it. I'm actually probably not going to say as much as I might do here, because uh, as I've mentioned before, I think with the uh, Second Life one, I've got another five years to bring us up to the 30 years. And one of my um, technologies of the year in that case is the Twitter or X diaspora and kind of what happens after the uh, implosion of Twitter. So I'll, I'll probably cover more in that chapter, of that podcast. Um, and obviously it's, it's almost impossible to talk about Twitter now without sort of uh, thinking about or mentioning the Elon Musk takeover and just what a kind of dumpster fire it's become there. Uh, and I've... Deleted my Twitter account now, which is quite sad to think about now when I look back and read this chapter, you know, how important it was then. And I think it's very difficult not to be kind of misty eyed and nostalgic about Twitter now. Um, Things, it it was quite bad, you know, beforehand. There was plenty of issues with it beforehand. But it's like so many things, like, ah, that wasn't the worst. This is the worst, you know, until something gets even worse and gets taken over by Elon Musk. You don't realize how bad things can go. and I think maybe what beyond that, I think there was already a bit of, um, sort of downgrading of Twitter and people beginning to use it less. Um, and maybe I think that we've come to a stage where the, the mode of social media usage has passed. You know, that idea that we had of how to use social media and what it did and what you did on it has is, is passed now. We're into a new phase, maybe it's more specialized. This idea of the kind of town hall where everyone is present and you do all the things there. Um, that's my dog science. I guess he doesn't agree with my comments on Twitter. Um, we, we used it for everything. I think that's the point, you know, for everything in education. You know, we used it to find contacts for research. We used it to amplify conferences. We used it to engage students. We used it to make social connections. You know, we used it for advice and support and help. And maybe we use different things for those purposes now. Um, it's interesting in the... In the uh, Podcast, um, they talk about the power of the hashtag, and I think that's kind of really important to, to remember that you know the idea of you could put a hashtag in, then anyone else could join in the conversation. I was like, wow, you know, and that was goes back to Steve, you know, using it for everything. You can only need to put the hashtag in, you could be talking about sports one minute and you know uh, research methodology the next, and just with a different hashtag, you're jumping between these conversations, and that's much more difficult to manage now across different platforms. Um, And I think there was also that aspect of it being those early connections, a kind of real excitement about making connections with people. Um, But maybe that was linked to novelty too. You know, it it was new. You sort of chat to someone online, like, you're on Twitter too. And then you'd meet them at a conference. Hey, you're from the Twitters. Great, you know. Um, But then it became, I think Laura uses the term in the podcast, flooded. You know, there's, there's everything on there. Brands are on there, you know, it's like. Right, controls on there. But everyone's on there, you know, and suddenly it's no longer a novelty thing. You know, it's just a kind of, it's part of work package. And you know, I think that when things become mainstreamed, um, they sort of lose a lot of that excitement. And, and you know, I've talked before about Cory Doctorow's idea of shitification. I think that's going kind to of, be see that a lot with Twitter. And maybe a way to think about it is, uh, Chrissy mentions that it felt very authentic. You know that. Um, you would make these connections with people and they would feel very real. Even if you never met those people face-to-face, you'd sort of make connections around particular topics, have really meaningful discussions. Maybe that's what happens is that over time, these platforms become less authentic or your experience of them feels less authentic. Um, and I think just one of the usual things I've raised, like what does AI mean in this context? Like I've seen people advertising, AI is great for creating your social media content. So, oh my god I can't think of anything done AI creating social media content to be read by other bots why why would we want to do that what's the point of social media with ai created content it would certainly feel less authentic um and i think one of the again one of the great points about um early social media earlier twitter was that it allowed a lot of opportunities a certain kind of democratisation about the space or well, i do you know try to highlight in the taps how that's often not democratization for everybody. Um, But often you'll find people, you know, they sort of made their career on the back of making connections through Twitter and outside of their quite small environment physically, you know, where they're located. Um, But I I think what also, maybe it's also part of that process of shitification, is that um, after a while, things that the hierarchies cement back into place, they're difficult things to shake off those hierarchies, and eventually they come back in, you know, the the people with the clout, with the money, with the branding—you know—come um, back in space, and that's partly what you know, Elon Musk has tried to uh, enforce even more. And but, yeah, so, I think it's sad to see, and I think, it, but also I think it's interesting to think about where we are now—you um, know—and we're probably in a kind of in-between stage now. And I think we'll, we'll in the next few years, a, a new use of social media, a new attitude towards it, a new way of incorporating it into our practice will evolve. Anyway, so fairly short introduction, because we're going to come back to this in a later episode, but I hope you enjoy the chapter that follows.
1: Welcome to 25 Years of EdTech, the serialized audio version of the book, 25 Years of Ed Tech, written by Martin Weller and published by Athabasca University Press. This community-produced audio version of the book is narrated by a global cast of educators with a new chapter released each week. In addition to the book, there is also an accompanying podcast called Between the Chapters, which contains analysis and discussion of each chapter of the book. For more information on the audio version of the book and the accompanying podcast, or to subscribe, visit 25years.opened.ca.
2: Chapter 16, 2009, Twitter and Social Media, read by Simon Horrocks. If the learning management system, LMS, represents the dominant educational technology, then Twitter is the behemoth of third-party tech that has been adopted in education. There's too much that can be said about Twitter to do the subject justice in a short chapter, and most people will have their own views on its role in education, but it would be remiss to leave it out of any historical account. Founded in 2006, Twitter had moved well beyond the tech enthusiast bubble by 2009, but had yet to become the pervasive tool of today. Not long ago, I passed a highway sign signalling some road work. The sign stated that updates could be searched by using the hashtag of the highway number. While this wouldn't just be on Twitter, The use of hashtags as the most effective way to convey public information indicated that since 2009, Twitter has gone on to become, like the Highway Network, part of the infrastructure. In this transformation, it has also become a tool for wreaking political mayhem, populated by trolls, bots and the far right, where daily outrages and generally toxic behaviour have become the most significant aspect of its usage. Given this, it is difficult to recall the optimism that we once held for Twitter as well as for Facebook. In 2009, though, the ability to make global connections, to easily cross disciplines and to engage in meaningful discussion, all before breakfast, was revolutionary. There was also a democratising effect. Formal academic status was not significant, since users were judged on the value of their contributions to the network. In educational terms, social media has done much to change the nature of the relationship between academics, students and the institution. It remains a means of creating a valuable and rewarding network for scholars that brings real benefits. How, then, are we to resolve this quandary of benefit and damage? For some, the benefits are no longer significant enough, and they have quit social media while others have moved to other sites, such as Mastodon, in an attempt to create communities from scratch that conform to more acceptable norms. One way of approaching Twitter and related social media is to view them as paradoxes, where opposing outcomes are both simultaneously true. This approach at least allows users to avoid the extremes of wholesale acceptance or rejection, and attempt to find strategies that can, as the song says, accentuate the positive. Strategies to Offset the Paradoxes What follows are examples of strategies that can offset the paradoxes. Democratisation versus marginalisation Twitter can practically democratise the academic space. For instance, many of the conferences that I have been to over the past two or three years have featured keynote speakers who are not eminent professors with a substantial list of publications, but people who have established an online identity. They have interesting things to say online, have established powerful networks and communities, and often give the best keynotes. Social media is a democratised open space where traditional hierarchies don't carry as much value. But the opposite is also simultaneously true, in that the same sort of groups who are marginalised in real life are marginalised online. Thus the experience of a white middle-aged male online will be very different to that of say a young woman of color and particularly if that woman is writing about subjects that attract trolls such as feminism climate change technology and so on therefore when universities encourage academics to develop profiles in spaces such as twitter they may be reinforcing existing privilege because for some groups this will be a more positive experience than others in addition If a person has real-life influence and an existing network, these can be transferred to their online network, regardless of the content they produce, as seen with celebrities. The Matthew Effect posits that power will accrue more to someone who already has power, and a version of this is in evidence in social media, where a person with 100,000 followers will gain more simply through their presence in the network, rather than through merit. Reward versus Punishment In the battle for open, well of 2014, I argued that open approaches such as developing an online identity, establishing a community, and sharing resources and ideas through Twitter are an effective means to engage in many scholarly activities. For instance, papers that are tweeted and blogged tend to get cited more, and Twitter can be a very time-efficient means of finding answers to specific queries. There is a high degree of reward, often in very practical terms, for using Twitter, at the same time, however, there are significant risks, such as the type of online abuse mentioned previously, the loss of employment or the receipt of disciplinary action through an injudicious tweet, or being subject to formal complaints by a group taking offence to something controversial, a political statement, for example. Given the diversity of interests and passions involved on Twitter, this can arise more quickly than we might like to think. Informed versus Misinformed Twitter can be a site for detailed and meaningful discussion. For example, the Learning and Teaching in Higher Education chat is a successful weekly discussion around the hashtag hashtag LTHE chat that is held every Wednesday, focuses on a different topic with readings provided before the session. Similarly, the hashtag PhD chat offers a regular discussion community for PhD researchers that... Quote, "...is a legitimate organisational structure situated around a core group of users that share resources, offer advice, and provide social and emotional support to each other." Quote. Ford, Valencianus and Rester, 2014, page 1. But we also know social media to be a space and culture that at times seems positively hostile to education and informed debate. Twitter conversations on many subjects often descend into little more than name-calling, but this is made worse by bots and trolls that specifically target keywords to spread misinformation. Supportive versus Dangerous Social media can be a genuinely welcoming, supportive place for academics. For instance, it creates a social bond with people such that attendance at conferences can be a less isolating experience. Often, fellow academics can help someone think through a tentative idea, offering suggestions. These connections are not inferior to the types of relationships that exist at work or friendships that exist in real life. They represent valuable, significant connections. But, as discussed already, it can also be an unpleasant space and a positively dangerous one. Threats of physical violence as well as sustained campaigns of abuse have very significant impacts on the lives of those who suffer them. Universities therefore have a duty of care when they promote the use of social media to both staff and students. Social media in learning. Educators then are faced with having to negotiate these complex paradoxes for both themselves and often on behalf of their students. There are no correct or single solutions to these puzzles, and appropriate strategies will depend on the individual, their context, the institution, and the motivation for adopting social media. On this latter point, there are several potential uses for social media in teaching and learning, which I will frame as a set of hypotheses. These are not guaranteed findings, but rather potential impacts, for which there are some tentative reasons to propose them. By considering these possible impacts for social media, it is possible to determine the preferred use, and thus the appropriate approach to take. By framing them as hypotheses, it also stresses the need to evaluate the evidence that supports or contradicts them. Social media increases student recruitment. The use of Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and other social media by universities, students and staff provides potential students with a good insight into student life and can act as an effective marketing tool. Constantinides and Zinc Stagno 2011. Social media increases student engagement. The use of social media helps blur boundaries between study and other aspects of life and provides an element that can be fitted in between other activities in a way that more concentrated study activities cannot. Social media increases student retention. Students who make social connections tend to stay with their studies. Ask Leitner, 2000. Conventionally, this is realised through societies and social functions. Social media provides a further means to enhance these bonds, and particularly for distance or part-time students. Higher education has a duty to develop expertise in fake news and misinformation. Mike Caulfield, 2017A, who has done much of the work in exploring the impact of misinformation, has developed an online book and a wide range of activities to help with these skills they are likely to become increasingly significant as the quality of fake videos and sophisticated targeting improve. If 50% of 18 to 22-year-olds enter higher education, then developing these skills helps improve the cogency of the network overall. What these hypotheses, and you can undoubtedly think of more, illustrate is that if we think of social media as a form of social infrastructure, then there are a variety of uses it can be put to, just as a network of roadways can be used by different people with different goals. To extend this metaphor, the effectiveness of it to realise any of these goals will be dependent on many related factors. Using the roadways metaphor, it will depend on traffic conditions, other motorists, type of vehicles, fuel and road networks. Whereas for social media, these factors will depend on the expertise in using the network, engagement from others, the tone of the debate and time. Achieving such social infrastructure is no accident. Achieving infrastructure-like status is the primary goal for Internet giants, such as Amazon, Apple, Google, Facebook and Twitter. For instance, for a significant number of users, Facebook is viewed as the entirety of the Internet. Reporting on surveys in Indonesia and Nigeria, Farrell, 2015, stated that, quote, large numbers of 1st time adopters come online via Facebook's proprietary network rather than via the open web, end quote, paragraph 8. Similarly, Amazon has the goal of becoming the sole global retailer, and Google and Apple contest the battle to be the sole technology provider in people's lives, embedding their platforms and technology in their home, car, phone and entertainment systems. Such a monopoly means that any provider who desires access to the markets they control must abide by the rules determined by these companies, whether that is in the type of content they permit, the data they have access to, or the revenue they require. In addition, they are unlikely to permit any company that acts as a competitor to flourish within their domain. So while these corporations have inveigled their way to infrastructure status, we should remember that providers of physical infrastructure systems, such as water, roads and power, have responsibilities and accountability placed upon them. This is relevant to EdTech because it highlights the responsibility in mandating the use of such systems and thus increasing their infrastructure-like status, and stresses the importance of developing a critical approach to technology in all subject areas. Social Media and Research Having looked at possible uses of social media in teaching and learning, we can also undertake a similar exercise for research. If we view a typical research life cycle, then for each of these, social media can be seen to offer alternatives or opportunities to enhance the phase. Taking each in turn, we can examine some examples. Figure 1 An illustration of a research cycle. A circle with arrows between five text fields indicating the research cycle. Initial idea points to situate in field, which points to choose method, which points to conduct research, which points to disseminate findings, which points back to initial idea. Initial idea. Social media can be a useful place to test out ideas and garner early feedback. It can also be used to conduct lightweight pilot studies, surveys, and find possible collaborations. Situate in field. Social media allows projects and people within a field to connect, to reach out to others who have done related work, and to develop an identity around a particular project. Choose method. Social media allows for methods such as sentiment analysis network analysis, subject recruitment, and survey dissemination, which can all form part of an overall methodology plan. Conduct research. During the research process, social media can be used to generate interest, disseminate early findings, and gather further collaborations and subjects. Disseminate findings. Disseminating work via social media brings greater visibility, citations, downloads, and linking through to the, quote, open-access citation advantage, end quote, Eisenbach, 2006. But beyond this, there are other approaches to dissemination, including social media and video, to get across messages. Development of other outputs beyond the traditional papers, such as infographics, MOOC, and open tools, which are social media friendly, can be produced to further dissemination. What social media ultimately provides edtech with is a set of tools and possibilities, but these are not without risks and issues. The clear distinction between professional and personal is deliberately blurred on social media. This can be beneficial, but it also leads to, quote, context collapse, unquote. Marwick and Boyd, 2010, highlighted this issue, quote, We present ourselves differently based on who we are talking to and where the conversation takes place. Social contexts like a job interview, trivia night at a bar, or dinner with a partner differ in their norms and expectations. The need for variable self-presentation is complicated by increasingly mainstream social media technologies that collapse multiple contexts and bring together commonly distinct audiences. End quote. Page one. In other words, we communicate in social media with one audience in mind, but several different audiences might access that content. This is particularly true if you have a diverse audience, or if people use hashtags or search terms to find your tweets. This context collapse provides both an opportunity, for example, in reaching new audiences for research dissemination, and a risk, for example, trolls searching for terms to harass people. This is a reflection of what social media does for education as a whole. The context between the university and the rest of society is collapsed. That may be beneficial, generally, but when it means conspiracy theorists arrive in a geology discussion to insist the world is flat, it raises problems that we are still incapable of solving. Twitter context collapse is akin to a black hole consuming all matter indiscriminately. Cat pictures, sports discussion, political discussion, humorous memes, feminist movements, medical support communities, Nazi trolls, conspiracy theorists, and marketing. And in this, academia is but one small part. Regaining and retaining an academic sense of identity and values, while deriving some of the benefits of context collapse, is the challenge that social media brings.
1: Thank you for listening to 25 Years of Ed Tech, the serialized audiobook version of Martin Weller's 25 Years of Ed Tech, published by Athabasca University Press and narrated by a global cast of volunteers. Intro music for the podcast is Abstract Corporate by Grib Sound and released under a Creative Commons attribution license. To subscribe to the weekly audio series and the accompanying podcast Between the Chapters, visit 25years.opened.ca.
0: for listening to Metaphors of EdTech. Remember to subscribe if this is your bag uh, and also check the episode notes for any useful links and fun things there.